Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. So, William Carey, in a message that rocked the entire world, not that the entire world was listening to the message, but that message was somewhat of the spark or the, the impetus behind a movement of modern missions. William Carey is known as the father of modern missions. In his message, he made this statement or something to this effect. He said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. The truth is, that's a person with ambition. To attempt great things is a person who has ambition beyond just normalcy. The message today is simply this. God has given to many of you, if not most of you, maybe even all of you, us, a holy ambition that we are obligated not only to discover but also to fulfill. Because the ignoring of the holy ambition is to lay down the plan or lay aside the plan that God himself has called us to do. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 is the final words to the church at Rome from Paul. And, and as he's given these, these, these final words, it's somewhat of a eulogy, I guess. He reveals something that is is. Not a mystery, but, but he wants to remind the church at Rome his purpose and his calling. He wants to remind them why he does what he does or did what he did. So in Romans chapter 15, in verse 20 and 21, he says this. He says, my aim, my purpose, my charge, my ambition, right? My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. So that I will not build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This holy ambition is what drove the life of Paul. It's what caused him to make every decision he made. It's what he thought about when he woke up in the morning. It's what he thought about when he went to sleep at night. It was this calling from God placed upon him that he had no choice but to pursue. And so my question to you is this, what is your holy ambition? What is your purpose? What is the reason that you get up in the morning? What's the reason that you go to bed at night? What is it that drives your decisions? What is it that causes you joy when you think about it and maybe even some consternation and some, some, some struggle? Have you discovered that the holy ambition is not something for you to put aside, but it's something for you to pursue because God has placed it upon your heart? Pull the lights up if we will. I, I want to see their faces. I need to know if they're sleeping or not. There we go. So this holy ambition, what is it all about? Well, for Paul, it was very singular. His purpose in life was to preach the gospel to those who Jesus had not been made clear to yet. So preach the gospel in a place where the gospel had not yet been heard, specifically to the Gentiles. Now this would have been a really strange thing for Paul, and here's why. As we learned last week, Paul was the 
Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Jewish man who was rising in the, in the ranks of, of the, the Pharisaical order. And he had been trained under the greatest Pharisaical scholars. He had the most, the, one of the highest positions he could have. And in that position, he had an ambition to make sure that Judaism stayed the way it was. And he saw Christianity as a threat. And so he went to the chief priest, got letters from the chief priest... To go from town to town, even house to house, Acts 26 tells us, and bring them out of the house and persecute them if they follow Jesus. And so his, holy, his ambition was to persecute the gospel so that Judaism would remain pure. He thought he was doing what God was calling him to do, but he wasn't. And he had this encounter with God on the road to Damascus. And in this encounter, his ambition was transitioned from being against Christians to being one who would lead people into the faith following Christ, but specifically to the Gentiles. When God told Ananias, Ananias, I want you to go and talk to Paul, he specifically said, because he is going to need to know that I have called him to the Gentiles. So God had this call on his life. But see, here's the problem with ambition. Ambition is messy. Ambition is sometimes, or not sometimes, it's always mixed with ego. Those who are ambitious have detractors and those who are supporters. I have found that those who are detractors fall into one of two camps. Either they're those with no ambition and they're, they're, they don't understand what's going on, or they're those who, who have ambition and they think that that person is a threat to them, some type of competition. But the supporters on the other side are those who have ambition and understand, hey, this is something of God. But this holy ambition that God gave Paul was specifically to the Gentiles. And Paul is the least likely to hold this position. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was, was uh, perfectly suited to just follow through with the great Pharisaical dream, which was become a man of power. Become a man of influence, become a man of means, and live a very comfortable, classy life. Make your name known, and, and that's what you got. You, as a Pharisee, were in really good shape. He threw all of that away and went to the other side of the aisle and said, You know what? I'm going to leave my people, and I'm going to go in search of the Gentiles. Now, you got to know what a Gentile was. A Gentile was somebody who was not Jewish. So a Gentile to a Jew would have, been, uh, would, would have been disgusting, would have been repulsive in many ways, especially to a Pharisee. And so the idea of Paul going to the Gentiles was just unheard of. More than that, going to the Gentiles to offer the gospel was even more unheard of. The church at Jerusalem had a great, terrible time understanding, why are we going to give them the gospel of salvation? And of course, we know that God had the gospel to the nations in the first place. In Genesis chapter 1, it's revealed, and all throughout Scripture, that God's heart is for the nations, not just for a certain people. So, because of this calling, Paul arranged everything in his life, all of it. What he ate, what he drank, where he went, what he owned, what he, what he, uh, uh, how he made a living, everything was centered around one certain goal. Bring the gospel to the Gentiles. So the question to you that I have is this. It's really very simple. 
What has God called you to? What is your ambition? What is it that, that God has spoken to you about and said, this is, this is your purpose, this is why you live? Now, it's possible that some of you in this, this, this room don't, understand, don't have any idea. It's possible that some of you in this room have never even asked the question. But I want to say to you that if the Bible is true in Psalm 139, that He knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. If it's true that He knows the number of hairs on your head. If it is true that He cares about you and He provides for you and that He's a God that you that, that uh, can confidently follow. If it is true that He's a God who knows your name, certainly God has a calling for you. Certainly God has a purpose and a plan. Certainly, you don't want to settle for anything less than God's calling on your life. Paul believed this so strongly. In Galatians chapter 1, he says this in verse 15. He says, But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I could preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and, and came back to Damascus. Then, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him for 15 days. In other words, God's call is the most important thing that you can hear. Listen, once you follow Jesus, His calling on your life becomes of utmost importance because He didn't call you into a relationship with Him just so you could know Him. That is part of it. But He called you into a relationship with Him so that you could go about the work of reconciliation. What does that mean? That means God has called each one of us to be reconcilers of other people to God. We are, we are mediate, not mediators. We are, we are introducers, right? In terms of, of, of mail, God has written a letter to people. And he's put it in our sack. And he said, I want you to go deliver this house to house to house. And as we go deliver the mail, we're offering the good news that God so loved the world. Now, it's interesting. I've never had a mailman be upset because I didn't get my mail out of the box. At least not that I know of. I've never met a mailman that takes it personally if I took junk mail and threw it away. Why? Because a mailman's job is to deliver the mail. And here's the thing. No mailman delivers mail to every house on the planet. A mailman has a certain route. A mailman has a, a certain uh, a, a group of people that he's charged with the responsibility, rain, snow, sleet, or hail, I'm going to deliver the mail. That should be their slogan, by the way. I mean, it really should. That'd go, rain, snow, sleet, or hail, I'm going to deliver the mail. But the truth is, they have a route because... No one person can deliver mail to everybody. What if? What if God formed you in your mother's womb? And what if in your mother's womb, He gave you a temperament? He gave you a personality? What if He gave you some DNA that were good at some things and not so good at other things? And what if even before you came into being as a living human being on earth, what if God had foreordained a, a people or a place for you to impact for His glory? And what if He knew the steps that you would take? And what if He knew the, the, the coaxing and the convincing you would need to even get there? Are you fulfilling your purpose? The interesting thing about Paul is that he figured it out. 
And the moment he figured it out, all things in his life shifted to that purpose. He tells the Galatians that he knew that when he was in his mother's womb, he was set apart. One thing you can believe, though, is true. If you figure out God's calling on your life, if you figure out His purpose for you, if you figure out your ambition, and if you pursue that, you will have those who are supporters and you will have those who are detractors. But your detractors will be more than your supporters. I promise you, if you have a holy ambition that isn't normal, if it doesn't fit into the status quo, you will have plenty of people to say to you, that's crazy. You'll have plenty of people say to you, don't do that. Why? Because most people can't see what they can't see right in front of them. But here's the thing. Because Paul knew his calling, he was able to pursue that calling regardless of whether or not there were detractors or those who would praise him. So you have a few people who will understand and they'll encourage you and they'll support you. Those people are few and far in between. But the problem is that the voices of the detractors are often much louder than the voices of those who are praising you. So, if you don't know yet your purpose, if you don't know yet your, um, your ambition, your number one job is to seek for what God is calling you to do. Because your calling is the only thing that will keep you in it when everything says to get out of it. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and just say, do you know your calling? Now here's the thing. We want to spiritualize a calling so often because when we think of calling, we think of it usually in very narrow terms. We think calling is either missionary or it's preacher or it's something religious like that. No, no. God calls us to all kinds of things that we call secular, but they're actually just sanctified that God has given you as a means to bringing about His glory. You can be a cook. So I know a guy whose calling is to be a chef. His name is Bob. Bob is a bomb chef, too. Bob will tell you he is living his dream. Why? Because God called him to cook. And not only did God call him to cook, but God gave him a way to use cooking to glorify Jesus. And he cooks to the glory of God. And I'm all good with that. I mean, the dude can cook. He's satisfied. I will, if he could tell you a story, he would tell you that he was pursuing cooking for his own glory. And then he had this awareness. Wait a minute. Couldn't I do this for God's kingdom? And here's the cool part. When he figured that out, God started opening up doors to fulfill his, so that he could fulfill his calling through cooking. But I'm not sure God opens the doors until he figured out, hey, this is what I need to do. In the goodness of God, God will give you opportunity based on your willingness to walk through doors. But in many ways, God will withhold the opportunity. This is not the Bible. This is just my own experience, okay? God will withhold the opportunity until you're ready to walk through the door. After all, why would he give you the opportunity if you're just going to say no? Somebody put it like this. Up in the heaven and the economy of God, he's got a whole room full of blessings and full of opportunity that are still in the box. Somebody's walking by, what in the world's all that stuff? Well, that was, those are all the things I'm going to do for my people that they just wouldn't, wouldn't say yes to. So I've just stored them up here, just waiting to do them in their lives. Now, that's obviously a made-up story, 
But that illustrates the point. God wants to use you more than you want Him to use you. But the question is, will you see the ambition as holy or will you see it as something that's just not possible, something that's just too much ego, something that's, that's, that's not really reasonable? So in Paul's ambition, he also had a recognition that ego and ambition are always together. Ego and ambition cannot be separated. Here's why. If you are flesh and blood, you have ego. Now, you might say you have no ego. You might act like you have no ego. But every human being has an ego. That's a need to be important. That's a need to be recognized. That's a need for praise. That's not a horrible thing. The problem only happens when we set our ego above the glory of God. Paul recognizes this in Romans chapter 15. If you go up just a few verses, in the verse 15 and following, he says, Romans 15, 15, Nevertheless, I've written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. My purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You see there? Singular focus. He's a rifle, not a shotgun. He says, Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. So in other words, Paul says this. He says, look, my ego is always with me. But I am killing my ego so that I can run with this ambition so that Jesus gets the glory. He recognizes that he's flesh and blood. He recognizes that he likes the stage. But just because he recognizes that doesn't mean that he has to kill the ambition in order to kill the ego. You follow me here? Here's the struggle. How do we know where our plans start to be elevated above God's plans? Especially if you're a highly motivated person, if you're a person with a lot of natural ambition, how do you know what is God and what is you? That's a struggle. So this summer we had the OG pastor conference and one of the pastors said these words because I asked the question. He said, I try to look and say, is it 51% God? If it's 51% God and 49% me, I'm going to do it. Now, personally, I'd like to see 70, 30, 80, 20. You know, I, I, wanna, I want a little bit better odds, but, but I, I learned so much from him because he, what he was saying was this. You will always re- wrestle with your own ego. Paul said it this way. He said, what I don't want to do, I do, and what I do want to do, I don't do. What a wretched man that I am. He's saying, there's this war inside of me, and it never stops. But listen, folks. Don't let the enemy kill the ambition for fear that your ego will be too big. Just keep your ego in check and do that by getting married. That'll help you. (laughs) Right? And I say that tongue-in-cheek, but seriously, if you have a posture of of being a learner, if if you position your heart as a posture of a servant, I'm convinced that's one of the reasons we're called to be servants. 
Because a servant can't have a whole lot of ego, right? When Jesus stood up from the table and he wrapped a garment around him and he knelt down and he started wiping the nasty feet of the disciples, he was saying, look, I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I am the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And if I can serve, you can serve. Remember who you are. So just because you have ego doesn't mean ambition can't be pursued. But just never forget that the flesh always wants praise. I actually think that this is a reality for a lot of people in ministry. They start with this desire to do something great for God and then they see a little success and then they start to get out front a little bit more and more and then before long they have their own drivers. You have, they have people who dress them and make them pretty for the camera and, and, and before long they become the star. Here's what I've learned about God. He does not share the glory. God does not share the stage. And if you steal the glory from God, I can promise you, you will regret that, as I will too if that happens. But just because there's a possibility doesn't mean that you should kill the ambition. No, put the ambition, that would be like saying, I'm not going to have kids because having kids in this world, they, 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 could, they could have dangerous things happen to them. That's like saying, I'm not going to eat lunch because people choke on lunch. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm going to take the risk for lunch. I'm going to eat lunch. That's like saying, I'm not going to drive a car because people get in car wrecks. No, you, you don't stop doing something because there's a possibility. You, start, you, you say, look, I'm going to mitigate this. I'm going to do everything I can do to keep it from happening. But I'm going to trust that what I'm doing is the right thing. Paul understood his own ego. In fact, one of the ways he kept that ego in check is he was transparent about it. The number of times in Scripture Paul says, I am a worthless dog. I'm the chief of sinners. In Philippians uh, chapter 3, he talks about it. He says, look, everything that is to my credit, all of my trophies, all of my glories, all of my, my winnings, everything that I've done, it is all like dung. It's, it's, it's just, it's just, it's poop. That's what dung is. I mean, he was very graphic on this one. It, it's nothing. It's almost as if he walked through his house and he took his trophy case and he pushed it over to the floor and it just spilled the trophies all over the ground. And he says, look, that's what they mean to me compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. I had this epiphany this last couple of weeks and, and here's what it was. When I die... I don't need you to tell people that I was a good preacher, that I was a nice guy, that I was a good hunter, that I, was a, uh, uh, that I had hobbies. None of that matters. None of that matters. The only thing we're speaking about at my funeral is what did I do for Christ Jesus. That is all that counts. Now all the other things are good. They're not bad, but they're not what's important. Folks, when you get a vision for what your calling is, when you get an understanding of what holy ambition God has placed inside of you, it will drive you into the most complete fullness of life you could possibly find. But don't mistake what I'm saying. Again, God isn't calling all of you to stand on a stage and preach. God is not calling all of you to sell everything you have and fly to a strange country and live in a tent and preach the gospel. God most likely is calling you to do 
what you're doing already, but for His glory. If you're a carpenter or an accountant or a cook or a mother or whatever, a waitress or whatever, using those things to the glory of God. Now here's the deal. The danger in knowing your holy ambition and pursuing that is to confuse the ambition with the method. The methods you use are going to change. God doesn't need you to come up with a method. He's got that. I mean, seriously, God's methods usually aren't like our methods. Again, Jericho, Exhibit A. Walk around the city one time, every day for seven days, seventh day, go seven times, then shout and yell. And I'm going to break down the city and I'm going to cause them to kill themselves. I mean, that, that, that's a not a good plan. All right? If Jesus had consulted me, I'd be like, all right, God, we've got to work on your plan. We've got some major, major issues with this plan. The truth is, your methods, they're... they're Tenuous at best. God's methods, when He's got your heart, are a thousand times more effective. And they're more satisfying. So the tendency is to get stuck on the method and forget the prize. No, Paul says, I run this race. I beat my body. In other words, I submit my entire life for the prize. And the prize is being faithful to Jesus. So my question once again to you is this. What is your ambition? What is your ambition? Now some of you who are young, you're in a really great spot because you get to hear today that ambition is not bad. Ambition is holy if it's submitted and subject to the will of God or to the the glory of God. Don't do what so many people do and wait till they get old to figure out why they exist. No, you figure that out now And your life is going to be radically different than it could have been. Because you talk to some people who didn't get it until they were older. And what they'll say is this. I wish I understood this when I was young. Anybody older say that? Is it true? But whether you're old or young, here's what I can promise you. Your greatest fulfillment is found when you're in the will of God. Doing what He's called you to do and created you to be. Being who's created you to be. So... Paul says all of these things, and his point to the Romans is this. His ambition was to preach the gospel to those who had not heard the name of Jesus. And he says, I've done what God put me on this earth to do. You know, one of the last things Jesus prays is, Father, I've completed the work you gave me to do. I don't know about you, but when I stand before God the Father, I want to stand before Him with nothing left. With with nothing in the tank. You know, I I want to come before Him dripping in sweat. My body barely able to stand up. And say, Jesus, I did everything I could do to fulfill the purpose and the mission that you have given me in my life. All the things that I accomplished are nothing to being able to stand before you and hear you say, Son, you did good. Now, I don't know what that means for you. I just know that God hasn't given you one more breath so you can just exist. 
I don't know that he's given you the gifts and the skills you have for you just to hide it away. Find your purpose and pursue it. Amen? Father in heaven, I ask you to help us grasp this. God, help us to catch a vision for your calling on our lives. Lord, not to make our name great, but to make your name great through our lives, however you choose to do that. Father, I pray that we would consider all things lost for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord. God, I pray that that we would know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at FBC Gulf Breeze.